Shall we get started? All right. Um, my name is Alice Musumba. I, I'm representing Dr. Terry Dwelly. He had a, a quick work emergency he had to go attend to, so he asked if I would uh, represent him in this talk. I'll do my best to tell you about me and some of the stuff we've done with him and um, hopefully go through this uh, session together and um, learn something about it. Our topic today is the importance of public health in medical missions and compassionate ministries. And um, it's fun to be here because um, I didn't have a background in the health world, so to speak. My first degree was in agriculture, and then I did a little theology, didn't quite finish that, and uh, <laughs> the, the pulls of involvement in the field got me out of school, all but thesis. Don't do that if you're a student. And, <laughs> and um, I worked a little with university and did student ministry, and um, then came back to Kenya after a year in England doing youth work to do community health evangelism. And that health part made me feel like I was not qualified to do community health evangelism. And as it turned out, I think it was a good thing because, um, okay, that's me. Um, <laughs> it, it turned out to be a good thing because many times while the doctors would come and do a great job and impress most of the students of the communities that we were working with, I was left to try and explain what the doctor said in, in layman's English or Kikuyu or Swahili or whatever community it is that we were working with. And I learned pretty quick I needed help. And so when um, I got married, uh, my husband happened to be going through graduate school here in the U.S. I joined him, and um, we were in Texas for four years, and I did an MPH at uh, the University of Texas. And uh, that was so liberating, very encouraging. Here's why. I had been doing chair community health evangelism in Kenya and the East Africa area for, for a while, about eight years. I had learned on the ground what, how to do the work. I come to an MPH program, and they are throwing these theories at me, and I'm like, oh, that's what you were doing. I didn't know it was public health. <laughs> so actually, my thesis in school ended up being community health evangelism, a description for holistic public health in communities. And um, it was exciting because I'm hoping, God willing, that validates what chair was doing at the grounds level, even at two academic levels. But that's not the topic for today. The topic for today is uh, the importance of um, public health in medical missions. And let's start from the beginning. The Great Commission. Mark 16, 15 tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that is followed with the tools that God has given us for missions, or the tactics for ministry. What has he equipped us for? In Ephesians 4.11, it says that God himself, Christ himself, gave to the church, to the body, as workers, <coughs> apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors. And 1 Corinthians 12.28 talks about what God has placed in the kingdom. Again, what do we find? Teachers, 
prophets, apostles, miracles, gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance. And my question then comes to mean, God has equipped the church. He's equipped for us with everything we need to accomplish the Great Commission worldwide. Does that mean public health? Does that mean you being an MD? Now, here's a look at our history. Medical missions was not always considered a tool for missions. And it was interesting reading through some, some materials just in preparation for a different talk that I was giving somewhere. And this came out. And people who are not strictly in the preaching ministry were considered more like a hired hand, someone to go help prepare the ground so that the missionaries can come preach the gospel. So CMS committee charges Dr. John Elliott in 1840 and tells him, you're not strictly speaking a missionary. Your proper place is not to preach the gospel, but to direct all energies of your mind and bring to bear your medical experience and skills, endeavoring to alleviate or to prevent ravages of disease. 1840, that's a medical missionary who feels called, and yes, we'll give you the blessing to go, but consider yourself as a ground preparer. Not really the full soldier. It's up there, the drones and their cousins, before we send men to come on the ground and engage. In 1876, the Wesleyan Methodist Missionary Society instructed Dr. Langley, telling him, your task is to prepare the people for your medical skills for receiving the instructions of the missionaries. Go prepare the ground. You will not be expected to take any part, in active, any active part in the work of direct evangelization. We've come a long way. We've come a very long way. Where many of us, I'm not a doctor, but uh, I'll just throw myself in that camp for a while. Many of us in medical mission, missions are accepted. We are seen as a vital piece of the work going on in the communities. Not just a spare tool that will make work easy for us to preach. You are intricate members of the missions that's going on in the world. To, uh, so, now that Doctors are accepted. Medical missions, strictly speaking, is widely accepted. Do we see public health in its formal, organized way truly being there? Or are we visibly missing as public health people in direct missions? Are we doing anything in an organized way? Do our organizations, do our sending agencies see value in Alice, who is an MPH, called of God to go do something in the community? And we are visibly absent, unfortunately. That's a scripture that uh, speaks a lot to me. The body is made of many different parts. We are several of us, and um, there's no way it can be complete if all the parts are not there. I've had some, when I was a student uh, in Dallas, um, had the opportunity to go back home once. And uh, we and I ended up talking to one girl who felt really called into missions, but she didn't know how to, what she would do because she was just an MPH 
come with me and actually interned with one of the doctors in Kenya who was doing medical missions. And her problem was, what could she do? She's just an MPH. And I'm like, there's a lot we can do for the kingdom. Personally, I didn't see myself using, okay, I'm Kenyan, if I didn't tell you earlier. We're, we're very, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I do not separate my being an MPH from being a Christian, from being someone who likes to talk. It's all intertwined. And so for me, public, going into public health was not a tool that God would use for me to do ministry. It was empowering Alice to be who she was, to do what God's called her to do, whatever that might be. But for my friend Maggie, she's just an MPH. How can she be used in ministry? And that was a big... You are you, and you are gifted, and God's given you an MPH on top of your many other giftings to go impact for the sake of the kingdom. Now, so strictly speaking, I am a missionary. No. I, I am a public health person. I am a Kenyan. I, and you can add all your different giftings and callings and talents that God has given you, but he has called you in that totality with everything that he's equipped you with to go out and be his servant. So, question then. Can the eye say to the arm, I do not need you, and the body be complete? No. Can we say then, well, we'll go build the clinics, and we don't want you telling us about the essentials of public health. Oh, good. He's a doctor. He's safe. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we need to see how we can use the whole body for what we are. So some, some of us may think uh, other parts are more important because you're a good fundraiser. We want you in our team. You will help meet the needs, the physical needs that we have that are overwhelming us. You, we really do need a doctor. You in public health, we really don't really know what you guys do. Maybe you can come. No, we need you because you are part of the body. We as a body have to go as one front. We are each an essential part of the community, of the body of Christ being sent out to serve. And that includes public health professionals. So, that is the body of Christ. I didn't have time to look for people who look like me and add them into the mix. So I'm still there somehow. But when we start saying this is important, that is important, that's not so sure, what happens? We start being very unable to use the whole body in all its capacity to realize what God has equipped and called us to do. And that becomes even more difficult for us than to accomplish the Great Commission. Because it's a great job. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it segmented. We need to launch as a big group. So, let's look at what we, people in the health professions, have done in ministries. There are three major categories of work that we've been involved in. We've been involved in doing things to and for the people. So we'll have a medical clinic. It may be small. It may not compare to the health institutions here, but we will have something that we are doing something 
for the people because the need is great. And it's true, if I am dying of malaria, better give me those antibiotics. Telling me how to keep the mosquitoes away from me will not help me. I might be long dead. So there is room for that. And many times, we get overwhelmed by the needs. Now, in the doing things for people, that may come in different aspects. It may be long-term. Tenwek Hospital in Kenya, or Kijebe Hospital in Kenya, that's done great work, has been there for a very long time. Others, and it's gaining popularity in our years, recent years, short-termers. Short-term missions, we take a medical team, we go do a big job within a week or two, come back to America or wherever else we came from. We go do something. We help build a church. We helped clean the streets. We helped do something for the people. The other one is educate. And um, I would argue that's got some value because you've helped improve my knowledge so that tomorrow I'll not go to the bushes. I'll go to the pit latrine that you helped me build. I, I will boil my water, not just because the white man said boil the water, because I've seen the value in it. Education has been another big part. We're transferring knowledge to the communities that we're working with, and that helps improve the, their well-being, hopefully. And the last thing is empowering, working with people, transforming them and making, building their capabilities so that they can do it for themselves. Um, doing things with people versus doing it for them. And that, I would argue, is a big and a main area of public health. In the next slide, we'll be looking at the essential services of public health. And uh, empowering is one of them. And community engagement in particular is one aspect that we've taken in chain um, and other strategies of community development that are going on around the world where missionaries are working to empower the nationals to be able to take charge for themselves. So, as a good public health student or graduate, I'll remind you what are the core functions, assessment, policy development, and assurance. And those are the 10 essential services of public health. Okay, this is not public health 101, so I'll not go into the details. But look at what they go further. Yeah, that's where we're supposed to be. Monitor the health status of the people we're working with. Diagnose and uh, investigate the health problems. Inform, educate, and empower the people. Right there, that's one big one. Mobilize community partnerships. Develop policies and plans, enforce laws and regulations, link people to the, to the needed public health, personal health services, assurance, assure them that they'll get competent workforce, and evaluate effectiveness, accessibility, and quality of personal and population-based health services and do research. That's public health. Do some of these principles apply for us in ministry? I would argue most, if not all of them. We evaluate. We research. We, ha we find out what the problems are. We track whether we are making progress. So I've been teaching in this community. We've gone through the chronological Bible. Bible. Do they understand the gospel? Do they have their 
lifestyle improved? Correlation? I would argue yes. But the key one is that we may go do it for them or we may empower them to do it for themselves. So let's look a little bit more at empowerment. Empowering people, enabling them to believe that they can do it for themselves. And actually, this is Dr. Van Rankin in his chapter, A New Agenda for Medical Missions. And he says that uh, empowerment is uh, believing in peop that people themselves are worth more than any specific goal. I came to build a clinic. I came to build a church. I came to make converts. Whatever you may want to put down, which is good. People are worth more than that. Believing that they then, then can be made to bring to bear bring, um, what your goals are in themselves because they've internalized them as their goals rather than you forcing what your agenda would be in that community. And so if we have success in achieving our goals but have not enabled the communities to do that, we truly failed because once we've gone, once the missionary is gone, the work goes down. But what I would hope to do is when I leave a community, the work carries on long after I am gone. So, engage, engagement. We talk about community engagement a lot. And we see that as the process of facilitating people to own their problems and their solutions. Now, how do we do that? Um, I attended a class or a session yesterday by Dr. Ravi, and I was very impressed as he presented um, uh, some of his experiences in my home country where communities were able to take charge of their issues. They were given simple evaluation tools to address, to just prioritize what their needs were. They defined something, very simple. But they took that tool and applied it to many other issues in their own community. And uh, when they came to visit, uh, Dr. Ravi came to visit three years later and presented, the community presents the results. Like, oh, and we went ahead and used your tool to this and that and that. And, you know, within me I was just getting excited because those, communi those community members got it. Yeah, he may have gone there to do a small research on uh, evaluation. I'm not so sure what his agenda was in that community. But the community went beyond that and said, okay, here's a tool that this person gave us. We're going to apply it to other issues that mean something to us. So enabling the community to know, facilitating the community to discover what their problems are, discover how they can solve them, and bring that to application, uh, to, to realization. Now, Many times, we use coercion, and we call it community engagement. So we want to have programs that help encourage members of our community to stop smoking, because smoking cessation is a big thing in public health right now, for example. And so we will bombard them with flyers. We will make them answer the question when they, whenever they come see you as a doctor, have you ever smoked in your life? Do you smoke currently? And we are engaging because we are using communities to 
use that mess to pass that message across. And that could be true too for us in ministry. Um, are we really bringing our agenda and uh, forcing it on people, making them do it, and say, yes, we've en- we, we are engaging the community because they're doing it? Are they doing it because you're telling them you'll give them some money at the end of the program because you're gonna, they're going to get X after that Y is done? Okay, the other way around. Um, are we coercing them? So coercion, use of physical or moral force to compel to act or assent. That's from the dictionary. Do we do that? Many times we do. Is that really engagement? I would argue not. Are we really engaging the communities where we are helping them see? Okay, so I did community health evangelism in Kenya. And yes, we did teach people to wash their hands and boil their waters. I'll tell you a story of where we failed. So Winnie at the back and I work together, and uh, we are in Limuru. Um, some of you have been to Limuru. We've been, we're in a community there, and uh, we've, these are our chair trainers, the people who are, uh, yeah, the chair trainers who are teaching people in that community, yes, it's important for you to boil your water before you drink it because it will help you take care of all these diseases, etc., etc. And then they invite us to their home for lunch, and they give us boiled water, they give themselves unboiled water because they don't like how boiled water tastes. Have we really empowered that community? No. To me, that's one great failure that we had because they learned to tell. Oh, I'll give you another ex- example. So in Dallas, when I was in Kenya, I really thought I'd be a missionary to China. And uh, God sends me to Dallas through a husband who was going to do graduate school school there. Not my idea of missions, right? In my little apartment in Dallas, I had Chinese girls come for Bible studies from almost the day I landed there. So God answered that prayer and desire for me to reach out to them to the Chinese people. But, so we're using um, the foundation's uh, Bible stories to share the gospel with these Chinese who've never heard anything about the gospel. We're going through the Bible studies and uh, learning who Christ is. And then it comes to that lesson where you present Christ. He's dying for you and uh, you're making a decision. So I say, what do you guys think? What should we do? And uh, one friend tells me, I know what you'd want me to tell you. I know that you'd want me to tell you that I'm ready to accept Christ in my heart, and that will make you very happy. But I'm not there yet. So she did not make a commitment. She went back to China, and um, maybe about two years, uh, two years ago, I heard that she's become a Christian. I was very disappointed then during our Bible study engagement. When she told me, I know what you'd want me to tell you, but I'm not there yet. Now, I was disappointed, but looking back, you know, I empowered that girl. Two years ago, she's now a sister in Christ. It's not because Alice did it. Well, I wanted to be able to give that statistic. I helped that girl come to Christ. And maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Um, Humanly speaking, I did not. I failed miserably. But I think it wasn't a failure. I think I empowered this girl to think through scripture for herself to a point where she was back home where she, we thought, oh, she's going back to China. She hasn't made a commitment. It was almost a crisis for us. It was a big prayer item because they're going back home and they haven't made the commitment. Yes, it's okay. I'm not the savior. God is. Amen. And he went with her back to China and that's why she became a Christian. 
with no Bible studies. I mean, God is good. So, engagement, <laughs> facilitating communities to know what their problems are can be applied in many various ways. How those communities can be empowered, brought up, engaged, empowered to take charge of those problems. Not because the white man came and told us to do it. Sorry, that's what we would say in Kenya. No, but because we know it's our problem. We want it solved. And from a, a, this is a CDC publication uh, on community engagement, which says... Um, Engaging a community is ultimately about facilitating community-driven action, not Alice's agenda. So, let's look at uh, public health or comprehensive health. Many times, we all fall in these four categories that you see on the right. Some of us have no risky behaviors. We're in perfectly good health, a very small minority of us. Some of us have the risky behaviors. I drink coffee occasionally. Okay, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> but I still don't have the symptoms of high blood pressure. That coffee, you can insert whatever it is that are the risk factors for high blood pressure. I, I engage in some of those risky behaviors, but I'm... Not sick yet. I am sick. I have diabetes. I have... What are the big things here? In heart disease and um, obesity, whatever. I have a few of those. I have... Yes, I have the risk factors. Or maybe I've given them up, but it's too late now. I, but I still have... I have some of those diseases. And on the far end, I have all of them. Multiple risk factors. Now... Public health emphasis many times is to help reduce the risk behaviors. So we'll be having major programs on uh, exercise, diet, and nutrition, um, smoking cessation, whatever. How can we help you not get into those risky behaviors? While the doctors, the physicians, on the other hand, is, gosh, it's too late for me. Now you need to treat me. How do we identify and treat those diseases? And so I would argue most of what goes on in missions, whether I went in as a doctor and I, yes, I'm overwhelmed by all this health that needs help right now. It's like everything is an emergency. I will soon start thinking, how can I help these guys stop coming to see me? Because it's too much. I cannot handle this by myself. And so I would argue there's a place for public health in missions. And um, I'm not saying public health is better. No. I'm not saying uh, clinical is better. I'm saying we need both. We truly need an integration of those two as we reach out into the, into the communities that God's calling us to serve. He is calling both of us. Public health, MD, uh, <laughs> As someone here told us that uh, maybe it's easier when you go as an MD to even scratch off your MD part so that you can say, I'm just a public health girl. Because the needs might be, you cannot even meet, with your MD, you cannot meet the needs that are out there. You, you may have the training, you may not have the, skill, the tools. You may have the tools and the training, you may not have the time. Because we are just too many coming to, 
coming at you. How then do we help start putting the focus in helping prevent the risky behaviors? So, how do we change risky behaviors? The main major sets of tools that we have in changing risky behaviors are policy, one-on-one, -on -one individual, when I come see the doctor and says, gee, Alice, I hear you're still taking whole milk and uh, your cholesterol is off the charts. We need to talk, you know? You need to try and see if maybe 2% might be a little better for you. I know you're Kenyan, you like the real stuff. Try 2%. If it works, maybe we'll go to 1% and before long we can go to skim milk. One-on-one, -on -one, very important. Population groups, that's where this major blasting of stuff at you, thrown at you, healthy messages. And many times we do that in two ways. Oh, sorry, so who will do that? So how will we address policy? Let me, I jumped up. And um, the government, the business, will say this is a no-smoking business. I don't care whether you can smoke two miles from here or two inches from here, but in our business you're not allowed to smoke. Policy. Organizations. So they make the rules, and many times we have to follow the rules. And if we make good policies that impact our area of influence, we may move the ball to reducing risky behaviors a little. As I talked about our one-on-one -on -one counseling, doctors, clinicians, when we go see them or when you go out and see your patients, you have an opportune chance to share with them how the, the people you're serving, how they could change their lifestyles. Population groups. Many times we'll use the easy one, social marketing, uh, very effective for short-term things, um, but maybe not very effective for long-term. And I would argue community engagement if we are hoping to have lasting change. We need all the four tools. We need social marketing. We need community engagement. We need one-on-one -on -one counseling. And yes, we do need good policy if we are to change the communities we are working with. Now, let's talk a little about worldview. That we adapted from a community, Communicating Christ Cross-Culturally, a book that was written in the 70s, which I think for me, I think is a great resource for me in missions. If you don't have one or haven't read one, that's a good book to read. And um, what is worldview? With this would be the, what I would consider the cultural egg. Deep down in me is the worldview, the beliefs. This, what do I think of the supernatural? What do I think of myself? What do I think of nature and time? Present, future, uh, past, present, and future. And from there, um, these values that I think are very important comes out of these ideologies, or the, the yeah, my worldview, who I really am at the core, influences my values. And what are my values? Things that I think are important to me. I think it's important to stop and say hello. Don't just walk by. Or I think it's important for me to keep time. I can't afford to be late. Those are values. Institutions, how do we get married? How do we celebrate the birth of a new child? How do we bury our dead? What are some of our customs that uh, someone looking on the inside may not really understand and 
know why we're doing what we're doing. And then behaviors are artifacts. What, what can we say? You look at that and say, oh, that's Kenyan. Look at it. Oh, Americans, it's easy, I was told. I don't, tell me whether it's true. Jeans and T-shirt. That's an American. <laughs> I have a story I could tell on me for that, but I will not. Kenyans, headscarves for women, dresses. Can't wear, dress, be dressed like this in a good Christian Kenyan gathering, because I'm not. Our behaviors. Now, why is this important? This is important in knowing how we reach our populations. I said, told you earlier that we have two tools for population um, uh, interventions, social marketing and community engagement. Social marketing says, and this is as a social marketing expert who was talking at a national conference somewhere, saying, I really don't care what a person thinks, feels, or believes. I just want to change a target behavior. So, I really don't care what you think about immunizations, so long as I can get you have your flu shot or get your kids immunized. I don't care what you think. I don't, and it's very effective because once I've received my immunizations, chances are I will not get the diseases I'm being protected against, whether I am for or against immunizations. The problem, though, is that it's short-term. So I've heard all these messages about exercises, how important it is, and I might just go and enroll in a local YMCA so that I can start working out. If it was just social marketing and nothing deeper, I'll go one day, give it up. So it's good for something. It's good, very good for some things. Immunization, cancer screenings. I don't care what you think about it, but if you come and we tell you, hey, we caught something, we'll save your life. But if it's for things that are needing help to change risky behaviors, community engagement is the key. <laughs> Helping that community change their risky behaviors is the key. Because what I am targeting at right now is not just a quick change of behavior. I'm targeting at changing your beliefs, I'm targeting to uh, changing your orientation towards a risk behavior where you yourself then make the decision and say, not good for me. I really like my whole milk, but it's not good for me, so I'll try and do the 2%. I really don't like it, but it's good for me. So I, Alice, will do it. Different from the doctor telling me, go do your 2%. It may not last too long. And so question for those of us who are career missionaries. Does this align with um, pastoral missions where we may tell people do this, do that, don't do this and don't do that and we may do and don't when you are present and when you're gone we are not versus this is why you really should do it. So you make the decision that you will not engage in sinful lifestyle. You will choose that you, no matter the cost, you will put your faith in Christ and follow him. No matter the cost, you will make the change. Empowering the community in whatever our target area is, change 
make the change from deep within so that even when the missionary is gone, even when Alice begging you with tear is gone, you still stay true to the principles that you have learned. Because we are changing the deep beliefs and values. It's eventually changing the culture of the community. Now, the indigenous principles of, uh, of, um, of church movements. I thought that was very interesting. This, um, this, this, this brings a story that I'm, I'm struggling to tell, and maybe I will not tell it. <laughs> yeah, I will not. Um, <laughs> many times, no, I will not tell the story. <laughs> but, um, do we get to places where God has called us to work? Some of the places where you go, and uh, I'm just a registered nurse because that's all I can afford to tell you I am. And I will do my work there, and um, it's time for Alice to leave the registered nurse, not the Christian, because I may not even be able to say I am a Christian in that community. Have I, uh, my prayer is that we would be able to share who we are enough that even when we physically are gone, because this is bigger than us, it's God's work. It will carry on. So, uh, indigenous church movement principles. Doing your work in that community that you're working in, in such a way that you are able to empower potential members of those communities to be able to carry it on after you're gone. And what are the goals? That church is for the people by the people. It's not this outsider who's been implanted in our society has come and started a church, and it's his church, and when he goes, it's gone. No, it's how do we, is it a church, our church, that we are willing to die for, because it's our church. Indigenous churches, self-sustaining churches, where they will carry on and self-propagate, self-governing. Who's the senior pastor? Who's the... Yes, I may have been sent by my mission agency to come start the work there, but am I working in intentional empowering of at least one person in that community, a member of that community who will be able to lead it on and self-propagating churches? And again, community engagement, by the time we're done, you'll know this. You'll be able to... It's empowering communities to know their needs figure out how they can solve those needs where they are at. Do those seem like they're going together? I would argue they are. And um, community engagement then, an arm of public health where I don't have to have a skill, a clinical skill to bring to the community, but I may be able to bring my ability to empower them, to move, take care of themselves, then becomes a tool for ministry. So and I think I'm speaking to, especially those in public health, we have a lot to offer in the kingdom, a lot to offer. We don't have to have something to give the community. We can help them be the people that empower, uh, move themselves forward. So what role, then, I would ask, does public health and its tools 
what, what, what role does it play in, in, in missions, in compassionate ministries? And is compassionate ministries really one of God's calling for us to be involved in? Does God look at us as a whole person? So, compassionate ministries. Many times we have um, divided it categorically into two components. And I'm saying the two are important, very important. But it's time for us then maybe to start looking for ways to work together. So that as we reach out to communities, we are reaching them as one whole. So some of the principles in chair, in community health evangelism, in community engagement. It's okay for you to come and see me with your diseases. And I will do my best as a doctor to see how I can help treat them but I'll see how I then infiltrate your community and tell you how to, to, to not be able to come see me because I want to emphasize, emphasize, emphasize on prevention rather than curative with the two becoming true. So what I'm hoping that I have done, and I'm, I know I've rushed through this quite a bit, is that to help us see that there is room for both public health and clinical and ministry as an integral part. Let it be not as it was in the 1840s when the missionaries were told, go prepare the ground. See yourself then not just as a ground preparer for the clinic to come do the work or for the pastor to come do the work. See yourself as part of the team that is bringing hope and change in the communities we are working with. Thank you very much. Do you have questions? Yes. Good question, and I don't think uh, I know, but I'll tell you what I would have done differently. I would not have started by telling them what the problem is, and therefore, and this is how we fix it, I'd have wanted us to talk about it. What are the causes of uh, all the diarrhea that we have in our communities? And we'll come through them, and uh, some of them will be great, others will be bad and uh, go through the myths. And again, back to, we, we were a half-baked program. I had actually just gone through TOT1, and I had told them exactly, the pre, this is what you do, this is how you do it, and this is what you get it. The, the result you should expect. We told them to go boil their waters. They did not come to a realization that they needed to boil their water, which is a problem, because many times when I see a problem, I want to fix it now. So you're not doing it the right way, and that's a human problem. This is the right way to do it, and go do it. Rather than helping you walk through the process of deciding, I really need to boil my water. So that's, we short-circuited the process, basically. That's what we did, and told them, go boil the water. And so they were boiling the water because the chair trainers told us to boil the water, rather than because we think it's good for us to do Yes. Sometimes it works the other way up. You target a behavior, and then it changes the world. You they tried and tried and tried to get people to use seatbelts. I'm old enough to remember all that. And now it is the culture. Mm-hmm. But it was because the behavior was targeted. It must have been receptions, whatever. Same thing with smoking. I mean, it was fucked a long time, but I smoked it was not good. But when it changed, you couldn't smoke here, you couldn't smoke here. It slowly changed the thing. You change it back. In Kenya, for instance, you can target uh, a group from Finland comes out and teaches the community how to build two latrines. 
start with the behavior, and then they give all the equipment to build 12 more. Because that's what they really need. But they've thought about it before, too. So there's huge engagement. You target a behavior, and then you change a, a situation. So I think it goes the other way sometimes, too, and, and working in an exact specific problem. Yeah, I would, I would argue that is partly true. That's true. But you, back to, back to the, the rules. We have good policies to, and are they being enforced to make it happen? We have the same rules in Kenya. You have to wear a seatbelt. Do we? No. Because we are not enforcing them. Here, if I'm pulled over and I don't have my seatbelt on, what do I do? I get a citation. We are enforcing the policy, so we made the policy. Back to here, we, we need all these tools. None is more important than the other. But if we are to have lasting... Um, one of our big shots in North Dakota died in a road accident. He'd gone hunting in Alaska. Guess what? He did not have his seatbelt on. So we have the rules. If we don't enforce them, there are consequences. So, yeah, if, if I know I'll be caught, if there wasn't. So I was a youth worker in England. Just one sto short story. They took my, my orientation class for what I was going to be doing. It happened in a pub. I'm a good Christian girl. I don't drink. I don't smoke. Yeah? <laughs> they were good Christian men and women, but they drank. And so we met in a pub. They drank enough that their blood level, they thought, nobody told them, was higher than what was allowed for them to drive in England. Do you know what they did? They walked me home. Because policy said, you drive while drunk, you get yourself in trouble. In Kenya, I would have driven you. You know? So there's, there's truth in that, but is there the power of the law to make it happen? I saw two hands, and I'll take this hand and then there. I can tell a story to reinforce it. We taught the kids to wash their hands and to wear shoes. So on every Tuesday when we had kids club, they washed their hands and they wore shoes. But if you visited them on Thursday, what did you see? Just the opposite. So the challenge is how do you get to the heart behavior mm -hmm. and not just complying with our expectations. And I was going to tell another story, but the one sentence. We actually had some pit latrines built in northeastern Kenya, and uh, the culture was that you don't relieve yourself in the same place twice. So yeah, the NGOs came and built the pit latrines. What did we use them for? To store our grains. It was the best building in the neighborhood, yeah? <laughs> so it could go either way. Sorry. I saw another hand. So, I, yes. I guess I was just going to add to your point about changing um, uh, values and way of thinking. I mean, essentially that brings a lasting change um, because people believe that they, if they realize that what their their behavior is resulting in a poor outcome um, then, and they don't want to have that outcome anymore, then they, they don't need a policy or a rule to, to enforce it. They'll just do it on their own. Yes. Um, this isn't exactly a mission-based thing, but it's just a human thing. Um, in my past life, I was a personal trainer, because technically I still am. And I was working with a woman who was definitely overweight. And the environment I worked in was a group training mechanism where one day she may meet with me, one day she may meet with somebody else. I had a health promotion and wellness background. The rest of my colleagues had exercise science and physiology. They were telling her what to eat. They were telling her how much she needed to exercise. She was coming in five times a week, spending an hour with us, taking her nutrition program, 
I just listened to her. She wasn't eating. It wasn't she was eating too much. I found out she didn't, she owned her own business and she didn't take time to eat. So she may go an entire day and the only thing she ate was a Snickers, a coffee, and maybe a milk. But your milk was good, so she'd make sure she had milk. This was a 50-year-old woman in the United States. Had no idea that what she was doing was horrible until I stopped and said, you have to schedule lunch, schedule dinner. And she had an unhealthy relationship at home because her, her partner, with her husband, was not supporting her doing these things. It's like, you need to talk to him, either get him on board. She wasn't married to him, she was dating him. You need to either get him on board, or he needs to understand this, something, and he can decide whether he wants to come with you. Until she started realizing those things, we'd, we'd spent six months with her. She'd never lost a pound. When I told her she needs to eat more and take time for herself, she lost weight consistently and was happier. She ended an unhealthy relationship. She started rescheduling things. She told people no. She didn't run her whole business by herself. But that was just, for six months, no one listened to her and were telling her all the things she needed to cut back on when she wasn't eating any of them in the first place. Yep. So, I mean, that's just my real-life example of just whatever it is, listening to very important. Coming in, uh, we, we talked earlier, coming in as a learner in that situation. In the communities we were working in, for her, it was this person. Let me learn about you so that I can effectively be able to help you. Do we take the time to do that? Yes, sir. I was just going to ask if you could uh, maybe expound on how we look to Christ as our example of how to affect change that's I'm wondering, and I might throw that question back to you. If you've been in chair long enough, you know that's what you do. You ask a question, and I throw it back to you and ask you, what do you guys think? But I'll I'll give it a step, and I'll see if you guys would want to add to it. Personally, I've I've been impressed with Christ. First, being an outsider from heaven, coming to earth, living amongst, I mean, he came in as a helpless babe. So we had a chance as humanity to bring him up. Are we learning him? Is he learning us? Yes. Because he is in a situation of, I am not the big shot here. I'm just a baby growing up amongst you. And scripture ends us telling us in Luke uh, 2.52 that he grew in wisdom and stature in favor with men and with God. So he had a crowd that says, you're one of us. So when you speak, you're speaking as one of us. I think that's one. But two, he got his disciples, normal people, around himself. Spent time with them, and then sent them to go do it amongst their own people. (coughs) And as they went to make disciples across the nations, I believe they, two of my heroes, um, Paul for me is a hero. He will speak with the Jews as a Jew. He'll speak with the Athenians as an Athenian. Not because he's embracing the Greek uh, uh, philosophy, but he'll talk to them their language. And I think that's what Christ helps us to be, being all men, everything to all men, so, so that we can share who he is, Christ. But what do you guys think? Do you want to help him? Where they're coming from, and then speaking, sort of adapting 
whatever topic it is that we're addressing into that issue with love and respect in the fine Agreed. 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 Yeah. We really need to know where people are coming from and use where they are at as a starting point and bring them alongside us or walk alongside them to speak the truth in their lives. Yes, ma'am. I think the key is what you just said, dignity. It's being able to address them when you're spending time with people and engaging them on a community health level or in a one-on-one, having your one-on-one relationship. Having it be very much an overtone of dignity where it's not I'm better than you, or I'm coming in to change your life. It's, I want to know about you, because that's what Paul did, right? Mm-hmm. It was all thanks to all people, and he learned about them. He could quote the Athenians, <coughs> the philosophers, and that got him rapport with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that for us, like especially, I don't know, coming from short-term mission trips, like we spent so much time trying to change a behavior instead of just learning and taking small bites and getting to know these people and then gradually building those relationships so that it does change people and they are empowered like you said, yes. having that conversation with the boiling water, not mm-hmm. go in and change your water or change your habits because I'm telling you to, but talk about it what do they think is causing those problems it's the same thing with um, sexually transmitted infections, there are a lot of, you have to dispel right those misconceptions of what brought them in mm-hmm. and allow them to come to that realization and it's the same thing with, with salvation right, it's letting them because the Holy Spirit will use that, right Agreed. Thank you very much. One more comment if there is, or we'll call this good. All right, yes, sir. for us. Check, check ourselves. And time is up. I have to run for the next session. Um, if we want to talk, I would be happy to. Um, my next session will be in Fellowship Hall 111. So I'm not plugging for it. I'm just saying if we need, <laughs> if we need to talk more, I'll be available after that and we can share more. Thank you very much. It will be on uh, cross-cultural communication and community engagement.